0: So I am actually re-recording, not re-recording, I guess I am (laughs) re-recording this episode of the polyvagal theory and here's why. I recorded it this morning and I was in between clients. One of my clients um, called me and was stuck in traffic. Things happen. I think I feel like I'm always talking about a client canceling or rescheduling but listen you guys it's 2021 things happen and I have a lot of client. well, listen, I have 20 one-on-one clients right now and that's quite a bit of clients that I'm seeing at, at one time and he called me and said, I need to reschedule and I'm like, we can't reschedule, my, my schedule is so booked that if a client typically doesn't make a, an appointment, I will have to just, we need to just basically cancel today's appointment and then we'll just meet next week all that to say that he canceled. And so I was like, Oh, well then um, I'll just record the podcast episode. I had intentions on recording it tonight, which is right now, right now it's actually like 10 o'clock the night prior that this episode actually comes out. And, um, I've had all day to think about the episode. I don't even, uh, this is so weird. And I know polyvagal theory very well, but, I was like, let me take a different stab at it and just see how it goes. And we're get you guys. We're gonna see which one makes it to the podcast. If you're listening to this, then you know you got the second recording of Polyvagal Theory. And if you don't hear this, well, you never hear it. <laughs> so here we go. So guys, we're going to talk about polyvagal theory. I've been really excited to talk about this because, or share a podcast episode on it because I'm, I've been constantly referencing, you know, ventrovagal and dorsal and sympathetic and this and that, neuroception in my past episodes, the past, I guess, I think the past like three episodes. And I've been slowly giving you guys little bits and pieces of polyvagal theory. And I was like, you guys are You guys need the whole thing. Um, And listen, there's many parts to polyvagal theory. And today, what we're going to talk about is polyvagal theory, uh, hierarchy, and neuroception. There's another part to it, um, co-regulation and self-regulation. That's going to be another episode. But that one is like probably the most important. Well, maybe not the most important, but a very, very important part of polyvagal theory. And the reason it's important is because... That's the part that I focus on so much with my clients in healing their trauma. The reason self-regulation and co-regulation is important in healing trauma, I'm going to explain this first because I think it's an important aspect and viewpoint so you guys can get a holistic view of why I'm even discussing or sharing this neuroscience with you. Okay, The reason... Emotional regulation, aka managing your emotions and getting out of anxiety and getting out of fear, which is probably the most common state that my clients are in, that I used to be in when I was suffering from all of my trauma responses, all of the effects of my past trauma. I was living in a constant state of fear, worry, anxiety anger, disconnection, fight or flight, I mean, just all those things. And I think if you're listening to this, this may be something that you suffer from. This is probably why you're listening to this podcast episode. This is probably why you listen um, or follow me on instant uh, Instagram or social media or just the podcast itself, right? Um, you're probably a client of mine who's actually working through your trauma and learning all the tools to actually heal it. And when you're always in a state of survival, which is the fight or flight state, and anxiety and dealing with the effects of trauma, like the behaviors that you have now, the feelings that you have now, the beliefs that you have now, it's because you're in a stuck or a stuck state. I will always say stuck. I always mention this to my clients and and probably initially they don't get it. But once we start learning all these things, they, they get it. They're like, oh, I was fucking stuck in whatever state I was in, right? So the reason I say stuck is because you have an inflexible nervous system. Meaning you're not able to navigate through the different nervous states of your emotions. And you're mostly operating from a survival state which is either immobilization, the dorsal vagal state, or the sympathetic nervous system state. And that's your fight or flight um, mobilized state. I'm going to get into it shortly. Okay, those two states, when you're always living in those states, it's... It's, it's just freaking sucks, okay? And when you're always in a survival state, whether it's a mobilized one or an immobilized one, you have an inflexible nervous system. You don't have the actual physical ability or no logical know-how to get out of that state. And it's, it's because of the trauma that you experienced in your past, typically, okay, you guys, this is for the most part. I speak a lot in generalities, and I'm speaking to, when you're listening to this, um, you're probably listening to this, and I'm hoping you're listening to this because you're suffering from some type of traumatic, um, some, uh, you know, symptoms from your trauma, right? And so, I know most of you guys understand this feeling of, When you're in a survival place of like worry and hypervigilance and um, anxiety and fear, you aren't even able to access being present, being happy, being joyful, having access to your prefrontal cortex, which basically means your ability to think well. Um, You lose access to that when you're in a survival state, when you're in this anxiety and fight or flight, okay? Okay. This is the biggest and I think the most common symptom of unhealed trauma. Okay. So I'm bringing this up because this is one of the states that I will be referencing in polyvagal theory. We're not taught polyvagal theory, right? We're in life, we're just taught I have anxiety, I have depression, I have anger, right? I have OCD. People have bipolar, people are narcissistic, people are whatever. Um, diagnosis that the DSM or physician that you went to diagnosed you with, but really all those are, are explanations or disorders that cl- that the insurance companies have basically put in these little symptom clusters of, um, yeah, of emotional disorders. Right. And now, but most of them are symptoms of trauma. Okay. So we'll get into that. That'll be another episode. I promise we will record. Um, and because I do think that's a really important one, but let's, let's get into, um, I say all that stuff right now because I wanted to, re- um, preface it this episode with an explanation as to why I'm actually digging into polyvagal theory. Polyvagal theory is the science of safety and connection. It was created by a man named Stephen Porges, and it became most popular. or He published a study or research and book in 1994. And so this is really fairly new information for a field, right? It's been around, what, 20 years? That's not very long. Um, So it's barely catching on. And it's fairly new and I know when I explain it to a lot of my clients, a lot of um, friends and family or just people that I talk to, it opens up uh, a consciousness or just a different way of looking at yourself and it explains so much more biologically physically you know mentally psychologically in your body and what I love about learning the neuroscience behind it and what's actually happening in your body when you're having when you're having a quote-unquote trigger when you're fighting with someone when you're having you're always hyper vigilant and freaked out when you go places right when you're driving in a car and you're scared because you've been in a car accident before all of these things yeah, they're behaviors and feelings, but they have deeper, deeper physical and biological mechanisms attached to them. And they're explained best through polyvagal theory. So that's why it's so important to talk about it. I I remember talking to one of my clients and she said, All I hear is you saying the word bagel, and it's making me hungry because you're saying bagel, and I'm just like, it's bagel with a V. And um, The more she works with me, the more she understands and it's, it's, and it's not for, it's not for not, like it's very intentional why I talk about the neuroscience behind it. Um, I've been sharing this, this theory for the past couple months with my clients and it's really made an impact and it's made an impact in my life as well. You guys know if you follow, you've been following me since I started this podcast. I used to be the mindset chick, like all about mindset it was like change your thoughts you could do it it will heal everything and after and this is when I knew that I had healed my trauma but I wasn't really clearly understanding the effects of it like what this is why I was able to start my business and leave the marriage and lose the weight and all the things and when I started noticing that I when I integrated the mindset work and the trauma healing with my clients, those are the ones I got the best results. I was like, there's something here. And so I just dug and dug and dug into all the mechanisms and um, neuroscience behind trauma. And this is what I teach now. And you guys, I take a nerdy neuroscience approach with complete pride. Um, I think there's a lot of people that are that, um, and I know these coaches, they take very like a, you know, just nurture yourself and love yourself. Like, mm -mm. I'm going to teach you all the shit behind it because it opens up a different aspect of trauma and it lets you understand it at a deeper cellular epigenetic neural level, right? That I think, when you learn it, it just takes away so much shame. And this is why I share it with my clients. It's not just because I want to fill up some session with you to teach you about polyvagal theory and Stephen Porges and Deb Dana. There's like super um, intentionality behind it. And if I'm sharing something on my podcast and I'm taking the time to record this and put it out for free and give you guys value, there is a reason to learn it and you know, take it all in. Okay. So all that to say is that it's important. There's a reason behind it. And I'm always going to reference this stuff. If you are listening to this episode in the future, because I'm recording this in April, 2021, if you're listening to this in the future and you've gone, you've kind of gone back and found this episode, um, it's on purpose that, when let's say you find me in 2022 or 2020, you know, somewhere in the future and you're hearing me talk about all these things and you're like, what the fuck is she? She's like dorsal bagel. And, you know, and I had neuroception of safety and so I was fine, you know, there's a like I'm sharing this stuff with you guys because I believe you're smart enough to listen to it, learn it, use it and apply it in your life. I, I, none of this is lost on me on how important it is in the whole picture of healing trauma, okay? Today we're we're just gonna go over the the main theories about polyvagal theory, the main aspects of it. There's quite a there's quite a few. So there's gonna be a couple episodes that I go over. And I really want you guys to look at the show notes because I'm gonna offer more deeper information in the show notes. I'm also gonna offer a download for you Via the show notes, I'm going to offer a link in there, and if you click that link in the show notes, you're going to be able to get a, a PDF printout of all the information that I cover in this episode. You're going to know what each neuropathway pathway is, what all, the autonomic nervous system is, what neuroception is, um, some quotes from Deb Dana and Stephen Porges, who for me are like the king and queen of polyvagal theory, and I've read all their books, geeked out on them all, and you'll have that PDF as a reference point. Um, I do think it's important if you're a coach and you're listening to this episode that you take in these, this data. Um, I do have a lot of coaches that listen to this podcast and follow me. And if you're one of them, this episode is essential. Okay. Take the notes Go to the the freebie. I don't know what the webpage is going to be called yet, guys. Otherwise, I would be telling you, like, AnnabelleAngleton.com forward slash whatever. I don't know what it is yet. My beautiful um, online business manager is actually creating it probably as I record this. So just check the show notes. It'll be in the show notes. And you'll be able to click that and download the PDF. And you can use it and kind of see it. Because I know some people learn audibly, which is me. But some people are a lot better at learning um, when they see it in writing, see pictures and things like that. And I'm going to offer as many things as possible in the show notes so you have a bigger picture and a clear view of the facts that we're going to go over, okay? It's so funny. I have a lot of mentors that I follow uh, in terms of trauma healing, things that I um, learn from other psychologists and coaches and things like that. But I've really put my own touch on how I teach polyvagal theory. I was actually listening to one of my other um, mentor's podcasts on how he described it. And I really liked how he described it, but when I recorded the first iteration of this podcast this morning... It w- I kind of tried to follow his his method or the way he recorded his podcast episode and I was like fuck me all up I was like I'm not even describing it well like I'm like this isn't the way I describe it I'm not gonna do it that way like I'm gonna teach it to you guys the way I teach all my clients they get it um, it's I believe in my opinion a lot easier to understand and I will like I said show pictures um, I'll try to give as many. Uh, stories as I can so you can understand it as best as you can but I will like I said share the show notes link in in the podcast um show notes so that you guys can get a clear explanation with um the pdf okay and you guys can kind of see it in written form so what I want to start off by talking about is um Polyvagal theory, um, in and of itself. So, polyvagal theory is is explained to be the science of safety and connection. Again, Stephen Porges came out with this theory in 1994, and he says they call it the science of safety and connection because what it basically covers is how mammals and humans use the vagus nerve in our body. Uh, to basically understand or or get perception around threats of safety or danger safety or threat and when you're in a specific nervous state you're able to be safe you feel safe and connected and so for some reason they have just that's they've coined it safety and connection and once I explain a little bit more you'll kind of get more of an understanding as to why that is so Poly means um, several, and vagal is means the vagus nerve. So basically, the vagus nerve is the largest nerve in our body. It starts from the base of our neck to our facial nerve, like to our face, and it goes all the way down to the bottom of our spine. And it's the vagus nerve um, is made up of afferent and efferent fibers. So The afferent fibers are 80% of them are in our body and they go up to our brain. And then 20% of them are in our brain and they go down to our body. I like to say that emotions are the language of the body and thoughts are the language of the brain. So when we're talking about afferent data, afferent emotions, okay, information that comes from the body up to the brain, afferent meaning, um, emotions, right? 80% of that information is coming from the body to the brain. And then 20% of the information thoughts are coming from the brain down to the body. I, I paint that picture so you can understand that how much stronger the, the nervous system are in our body. The emotions are stronger and more powerful and have, and have more, um, there's just more data, right more information coming from the nervous system, from your body up to the brain than from your brain down to the body. That's a really, really important point that we'll kind of talk about a little bit more um, later in the episode. but I want to paint that picture because it's important to understand that what comes from the body emotions are feel stronger, because of that eight times, right? It's eight times stronger than the information that comes from your brain, a.k.a. your thoughts. So when you start thinking something and you try to override the body and say, hey, calm down, dude. I don't know why you're so nervous. Your your body's going to call bullshit on your brain because it feels a lot more real. It feels eight times stronger than the thought you're telling yourself. Okay. We're going to get back to that, but I, I talk about the vagus nerve and the data that comes and travels through that vagus nerve. It's either emotions or it's thoughts. Okay. So that's afferent and efferent fibers, right? So there's three parts to polyvagal theory. Hierarchy is one Neuroception is number two and co-regulation is number three. We are going to talk, and there's self-regulation as well, but we'll talk about that later. That's another episode. We're going to talk about co-regulation and self-regulation in the next episode, next week. This episode, we're going to focus on hierarchy and neuroception. So when it comes to hierarchy, that's basically we're talking about the three nervous states in the autonomic nervous system. Okay, three states in your autonomic nervous system. So the autonomic nervous system controls everything, basically, in your body. It regulates your internal organs without any conscious awareness or effort. It's automatic, basically. Uh, Your breathing, your heart rate, your blood pressure, your temperature, your digestion, your sweating is all governed and ran by your autonomic nervous system okay and historically it's been known as Two systems that used to they used to call it the sympathetic nervous system and the para, parasympathetic nervous system inside your autonomic nervous system. And they used to believe that one was rest and repair, and the other one was the fight or flight. And these were essentially believed to be competing against each other. And but after Dr. Stephen Porges came out with polyvagal theory, he's explained that it's a lot more complex than that. And it turns out that it there's actually. A sympathetic nervous system and two parasympathetic systems in your autonomic nervous system that work together to benefit us, okay? So the sympathetic nervous system, so let me repeat that, the sympathetic nervous system and two parasympathetic nervous systems in our autonomic nervous system, okay? The autonomic nervous system is there to basically run all the automatic things that we need to live, Breathing, heart rate, your lungs, sweating, temperature, blood pressure, pressure, digestion. That's all happening under conscious awareness. You don't think, let me eat the sandwich and I'm going to work so that my stomach is, you know, producing gases to like break everything down. Like (laughs) we don't do that, right? Our body's amazing. And under the autonomic nervous system, it takes care of all that stuff, right? So in our autonomic nervous system, there are pathways that are responsible for our emotional states, and those states shift to increase our chances of survival. It sounds a little weird, but I'm going to explain that. So everything that our autonomic nervous system does in those three states is all in pursuit of survival. It's all to keep us safe and to keep us alive. So everything that those three states, remember earlier I talked about one um, par- one sympathetic nervous system state and then two parasympathetic nervous system states, so there's three total in the autonomic nervous system and they're all in pursuit and get initially activated so that we can stay alive and stay safe. It basically, the autonomic nervous system makes daily living possible for us because it's busy, you know, doing all the other things like beating our heart, blood pressure, lungs, and all that stuff. We don't have to think about it. And then it's also responsible for putting us, um, keeping us alive essentially by sending us these messages of emotions to keep us either, you know, safe and alive. The first one is ventral vagal and it's the safe and social state. And its basic job is to offer... I'm going to say emotions or uh, pathways or feelings of social engagement. And it's part of this parasympathetic branch. The second one is in the sympathetic branch and it's the sympathetic nervous state and it's the fight-or-flight state, and that's responsible for mobilization. So the first one is responsible for social engagement, to give you feelings of social engagement. The other one is responsible for putting you into feelings of mobilization to get you going, put you into an energized, moving state. The third one is the dorsal vagal shutdown state, and that's responsible for immobilization. So where the sympathetic fight-or-flight state kept you going and moving or made you want to move the third one dorsal vagal is responsible for immobilization or shutdown okay these three are very very important you're going to want to remember these three states so we have these three different biological pathways within the autonomic nervous system and they're responsible for responding to different levels of either safety or threat and this is when we are living life, doing things. If we're safe, if we're feeling safe, we're utilizing the ventral vagal pathways. If we don't feel safe, we're actually utilizing either mobilization, we're doing something, and um, and feel activated to like fight or flight. And if that doesn't work, we then utilize the dorsal vagal state, the um, state of immobilization. So. None of this is conscious. And listen, guys, I realize some of this doesn't make sense yet, but it's we're getting there, okay? Um, if none of this is conscious, it's all being guided by the autonomic nervous system. It's out, again, it's outside of our conscious awareness. We don't shift out of them on our own initially. We will later, when we're talking about co-regulation and self-regulation, okay, that's a whole other thing. But initially, each of these stage shifts um, is in if you think about it, they're all in support of keeping you safe and keeping you alive, keeping you in survival mode. Okay, uh, if you remember that the body and the brain is in charge of keeping you safe and surviving, this is the main point of these three states. Okay, so the safe and social state is your ventral vagal state. The one below that is your fight or flight state. That's your sympathetic. And then the next one below that is your shutdown state, your dorsal vagal, okay? I'm talking about them from top to bottom because they are in a hierarchy. If you remember when I first started talking about this, I talked about how there's a hierarchy is just basically levels, right? Think of it as a ladder. Deb Dana calls it the polyvagal ladder. And at the very top, it's your ventral vagal, your safe and social state. The one below it is your sympathetic state and that's your immobilization. I'm sorry, mobilized state. And then below that is your dorsal vagal state and that's a state of immobilization. Okay, The hierarchy is very important to think about because when you are, let's say you're in a mobilized state. I'll explain more in a little bit. But if you're in a mobilized state, you actually have to move through... Above that to your sympathetic mobilized state to get to a safe and connected feeling. So I'll get into that a little bit later. But I want to just talk about those, the autonomic nervous system and the three nervous system states of ventral vagal, sympathetic and dorsal vagal. You guys, I will reference these so often if you continue listening to me and if you become a client of mine. And one of the things that I'll, I'll reference is, uh, for some reason, they've kind of been coined, well, they're the primary states, okay? You can also have blended states, and we'll talk about that later too. But they've been coined as having d- three different colors. I will refer- I already use the colors with my clients. I sometimes talk about it on the podcast. I look at ventral bagel, the top one of safety and connection is green. Below that is yellow. It's a sympathetic fight or flight. And then below that is dorsal vagal, and that's your door. That's your shutdown, mobilized state. Okay, I'll say you need to get a little bit more green in there. You need to upregulate. You need to downregulate. This is the, these are kind of the things that I talk to with my clients, and you will hear me reference this a lot more. I'm not going to dumb things down for you guys because I know you guys are I have a smart community and when you guys learn these we're just going to go from here on out talking about it. If you're listening to if you listen to this episode in the future or maybe you you know haven't ever heard any of this and you're just like what are you talking about um or if you listen to any you, like, p- future episodes you're probably going to want to come back to this one so you can learn all the concepts and you'll understand why I'm referencing things the way I'm referencing them okay one of the ways that my polyvagal mentor Deb Dana references the three states um, she uses this phrase and it says the world is blank and I am blank And what I love about this is she uses this to describe each of the states, and I want to use this for example with you guys, so you guys can kind of understand what you would say about the world and what you would say about yourself when you're in each of these states. Okay, so first we're going to talk about dorsal vagal, the red, shut down, immobilized state. So if you're feeling, if you're in the dorsal vagal nervous state, you would you would say something like, "The world is unwelcoming, and I am lost." And what I want you to think about in this one is this is a state that you're in when you are, have already tried to like, you activated and you went into fight or flight and you were in a very mobilized, take action anxiety, maybe even, or fearful place, nothing worked. And so you down regulated and you kind of went into a shutdown place and you feel kind of lost or, um, unable, like nothing's working, I, I, I sometimes think of it like the depressed place. And so the phrase, the world is unwelcoming and I am lost, I think is very, very true to the dorsal vagal state. Okay, The next one I want you to uh, think about is a sympathetic state. And so this one is the fight or flight, mobilized state. So if you're in this state, you might say, the world is terrifying and I am in danger. Uh, again, I think this is very accurate for that state you're in fight or flight, you're trying to look for a solution to kind of handle a a, a considerable or perceived threat in front of you. And so you're scared maybe, and you feel like you're in danger and you have to do something to protect yourself. Okay, that's your yellow sympathetic state. The one above it is the ventral vagal state. And this is the state of safety and connection. And what I want you to remember about this state is that It's a part of your nervous system that you're accessing when you're feeling really good. You feel safe and connected with people. This is called the the state of social engagement. You're feeling really comfortable. um, You might even say kind of playful and childlike and just free. And when you're in flow, I think a lot of people um, access that vagal energy. And the sentence the world is would be the world is beautiful. And I am okay. So you have a really optimistic viewpoint. And when you're in a, when you're accessing that ventral vagal energy. And um, I hope those sentences help to kind of describe those three nervous states. So I've described all three primary states. And I kind of want to talk about what a blended state looks like. All three serve a very, very important purpose, right? The green is like the best... I would say the most pleasant feeling that you would have and the sympathetic nervous state is very much on purpose. It's there to keep you alive, right? If there's a saber-toothed tiger coming to bite you or you're going to get in a car accident or someone's chasing you, you need to access that mobil- mobilization and that energy that think of it as like energy running through your body. You need to access that one. It's very much on purpose. But you don't want to stay in that. No one wants to stay in a ventral in a I'm sorry, in a sympathetic state. Because when you're in a sympathetic state, what happens is you're you're basically shutting down your cognitive features. You're not accessing your executive function abilities and you're not able to think very well. Your only point of, of uh, focus is surviving, staying alive. Consider you're in a, the Serengeti with the saber-toothed tiger and you're trying to run, so all of your blood is like rushed through your fingertips into your feet so you can run, run, run. Your digestion is basically shut down. Your immune system and things that are focused on killing bacteria and anything else is just completely shut down. It's focused on trying to keep you alive. So it is necessary, but you don't want to live in that state. A lot of bad things can happen to your body if you're living in that state. And Let's be honest, a lot of people who are traumatized and have inflexible nervous systems are always living in that state. It's not uncommon for people who are very traumatized to have a lot of inflammation, a lot of obesity. Um, There's been so many studies that prove and share and show that people who um, experience trauma have um, early signs of aging. They die so many years faster than people who don't have um, healed who don't have trauma or who haven't experienced trauma or who haven't healed their trauma and um, so staying in that mobilized sympathetic state is just not healthy for you right um, and then that dorsal vagal that it's, a, it's there for a purpose too because the dorsal vagal that 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 state of shutdown think about it as the free state. When you try to run away from the tiger and let's say you get the tiger fucking catches you. Now you're like getting eaten up, right? Or bit or whatever. Your body will go into shutdown so that purposely, guys, purposely it does not remember getting eaten up by a tiger, okay? So I know that sounds kind of gross, but it's very much intentional. Your Our bodies are just so amazing that it does that, right? But you don't want to shut down and freeze All the time it's we have lives right we have to work we have families we have businesses careers children spouses so this isn't a state that you always want to stay in but it is purposeful when you have to like maybe fake like you're dead so that the tiger doesn't bite you right you're kind of playing possum. So it is, it is on purpose, but it's a state that you go into when you've tried to run away and then that doesn't work and you kind of just down-regulate into dorsal, okay? So these are the three states. They're very much on purpose, but what's ideal is when you ha- go into what's called a blended state. So when you blend, think of the ventral vagal green with yellow, sympathetic energized. So think of the ventral vagal safety and connected state blended with your yellow sympathetic and mobilized state of fight or flight or just energized. When you blend those two together, it's what's beautiful about them is that they actually offer a state of, um, think of energized safety and connection. So this is a state that you would be into when you are, exercising you're playing a sport when you're dancing when you're playing with kids and you're running around this is a state of being mobilized being energized but you're feeling really safe and connected okay you can see how those two states blended would offer that type of feeling right and then when we're blending dorsal vagal red that immobilized state with ventral vagal with with the green safety and connected what that looks like is this is the state that you would, you would blend those states so you can kind of access a slow down, right? You're slowing down, you're shutting down a little bit, but you're still feeling safe and connected. So picture when you're sitting down cuddling on the couch with your kids or your spouse, you're feeling really slowed down, but you're safe and connected. When you're going to take a nap, when you're spooning with someone, when you're making love with someone when you're sitting down meditating you would be blending your dorsal vagal immobilized state with the green ventral vagal okay so blending the red dorsal vagal with green or the yellow sympathetic with green um those are this is how we utilize all three of these nervous system states best and more effectively with life right? We don't want to stay red all the time. We don't want to stay in yellow sympathetic all the time. Um, Ideally we would stay green all the time, but that's just not even possible either. So it's about blending the states so that we can actually function and do all the things, okay? So the next thing um, I want to talk about is neuroception. This is probably my favorite part for some reason about polyvagal theory. So Neuroception is actually. Oops, sorry, I touched my, hit my keyboard. So neuroception is the way that your nervous system takes in information, and then creates one of the nervous system states. Okay. So neuroception is. Think of it as like the detection, the detector in your body, and things are happening outside of you, around you, with people, with things, with like weather, with politics, with life, with spouses, with kids thoughts in your mind. And neuroception is the thing that quickly takes in data from the outside and then automatically puts you in one of these three states. This is not something you have absolute any control over, okay? You can't work with neuroception. You can't shut it off. You can't say, I'm going to wake up today and I'm not going to feel anything. I don't want to emote. I'm just going to shut everything off. If we could... Believe me, I, I'm sure most of us would do that during during our days so we're not stressed out. But neuroception is really important because think about it; it's there to either give us uh, information of safety or threat. We need to know is what's going on around us. It's, our autonomic nervous system is there to keep us alive, it's to keep us safe, and keep us alive. So its first thing is uh, neuroception is responsible for detecting one or two, one of two things: safety or threat. Always. It doesn't look at things as beautiful or mean, kind or asshole. Um, good weather, bad weather. It doesn't. It doesn't do that. It just takes. It'll. You'll wake up in the morning, open the window, and it will see gray skies. And your body will have neuroception around this external circumstance, and it will automatically either give you. a a neuroception of safety or a neuroception of threat okay and there's three ways that we use neuroception again Deb Dana's gangster AF and she references three ways that we that we use neuroception and it's inside outside and between our nervous system so when we talk about um, inside this is interpersonally, so in our own bodies, okay? And you can have neuroception with your body, okay? So your body can start having an emotion based on what's going on with your body. So let's think about you being really hungry. Sometimes we don't eat when we're hungry and then we get a little hangry, right? When you get really hungry, your, your body can go into a neuroception of, of just like threat of like irritation. And that's, I think that's where hangry comes, where where hangry has come from. And when your body's hungry, your body, your nerve, you'll have a neuroception of either safety or threat. It might say, listen, I got to eat. I don't feel really good. Like let's get some food in me. And once you get to a certain point where you're not eating, it's going to get irritated. And it's going to say, dude, like the autonomic system is responsible for digestion, right? And feeding you and, and keeping you alive. So when it senses that it's not getting food, right? Because it needs it to stay alive. It's going to go into an auto, it's going to go into a neuroception of threat and it's going to send you messages like hurry up, like we got to eat. So that's interpersonally. So that's inside your body. Also, if you're, if you're ill or if you're having pain somewhere, let's say your knee hurts, your back hurts, right? You're not going to really, you're not going to have a neuroception of safety. You're not going to, the world isn't going to seem beautiful and ventral vagal to you, right? You're, you're probably going to have a neuroception of threat, and you're going to have some type of feeling, okay? So you're, you have neuroception inside your body, okay? And thoughts can create that too, all right? So Deb Dana always says story follows state, but I'll get into that in a little bit. But um, you can have a thought and then your body can automatically feel some kind of way. You'll have a neuroception of safety or thought based on the thought you're thinking. So that's inside. Then there's outside. That's pretty clear circumstances happening outside of us um the weather the political climate you're watching a movie you're watching a football game you're um at work and there's people there or you know you're watching a tv show or just getting some work done these are all things that are happening outside of us and let's say you get an email and it's like you missed your car payment and it's like oh You can have a neuroception of threat because you may freak out uh, because you think your car is going to get taken away or something because you didn't pay your bill. You can have a neuroception of threat. You might get activated and get into your sympathetic nervous system, right? Automatically puts you in that sympathetic state. Safety or threat always. And um, let's say you're a big Lakers fan. Let's say you're a big Dodgers fan and they're losing the game. Look at you! A bunch of y'all just had a had a neuroception of threat right now. (laughs) A lot of you men, some of you women that you guys like the Dodgers. I could give a crap about any sports, but that's just me. I wouldn't have a neuroception of anything if the Dodgers lost, right? I just be like, who cares? They lost. But if you're if you're really into the team, it might jack you up a bit, right? You might have a neuroception of like just total. Sympath- of, of threat and you might go sympathetic and just be like angry or whatever so that's how um, your neuroception works outside of you so there's inside of you in your body then there's outside circumstances and then there's between so between is between your nervous system and another's nervous system this is where all the good stuff happens. Just kidding. This is where, if you're on a date with someone, let's say you're at a nice restaurant and they're on their phone, they're not really paying attention to you. You'll you will automatically have a neuroception of safety or threat. Now think about that. You're you're um or you're let's say you're having a conversation with your mate and you guys are in a big fight um, and he's just sitting there rolling his eyes and not looking at you and leaves. You will have a neuroception of maybe safety or threat which one would it be for you or let's say you're having a bad day and your mate just says oh sweetie I love you so much I, I can't wait you know I'm gonna have a big glass of wine for you when you get home um and or you get home and they're there and they're hugging you you'll have a neuroception of safety right because you feel really good because they're near you and you'll feel automatically your, your body will have a neuroception of safety Okay, so these are the three ways that we work with neuroception. We don't, we can't turn it off, right? There's no way to ever turn off neuroception, but you can have perception over neuroception. And I think that when you have perception over neuroception, this is where the, like, where you have, it's a game changer because this is where, what I would call mindfulness, what I would call awareness. It, when you are talking to someone and, they say, they call, like, they say something, they talk, say something about, like, let's say that you're on a date, they talk about their ex for, like, 10 minutes, and you're just like, oh my gosh, I want to run and get out of this date, and you have a neuroception of threat, because you're like, I don't want to be with someone who talks about their ex all the time, let's say, and this is a time where you can kind of check yourself, and you have perception, and you're noticing, okay, your perception over your neuroception, I'm really feeling threatened right now, why is that? Um you have awareness around your feelings. A lot of us who have experienced trauma sometimes lose the ability to have awareness around our feelings because we're so used to just believing the hypervigilance, the fear, the anxiety, or just going with our emotions and not being able to stay focused and be present. We're always in survival mode. We lose the ability to have perception over our neuroception. Um, so when you are able to do that, and, you, and I think episodes like this, when we, you learn all these tools and you learn the underlying biological concepts behind what our body's actually doing, I think it helps so much. I think it like, I know I'm always noticing when my body's a little off and I'm constantly, um, mostly because I've been doing this for a while, but I mean, I notice really quickly whether I have a neuroception of safety or threat. And I'm always aware of it now. Now I'm always conscious of like, let me see what, what actually triggers me or not triggers me but I hate because I think the word triggers overused sometimes but I like to know what when I'm having a neuroception of threat if I'm just talking to somebody and I feel threatened is it a valid reason to feel threatened right is it a valid reason to go and want to fight with someone or run away Most of the time, there isn't. And so what I always offer to my clients is when you're having a neuroception of threat, when you're just sitting on the couch watching a movie or or a movie, I guess there is probably a valid reason, right? Because they're showing scary things and you can get scared. But if you're having a conversation with someone um, and you're constantly, if you're always in a relationship and you're constantly having neuroceptions of threat, you're always anxious, you're always thinking like impending doom, bad things are happening, there's what I want to offer is that there's typically some healing that needs to happen there because where there's threat there is a lack of safety and when there's a lack of safety there's an inability to feel okay in that situation and if you're with someone that you really love why aren't you feeling okay with them what's making you feel threatened and there tends to be reason I I think at least the way I think about it that there might you might want to dig a little deeper and understand why certain things that they're doing are causing you to feel threatened and remember um I think there's been so much bad press um or misinformation around your mindset and using your thoughts to just calm your feelings down like nobody makes you mad or nobody and I talked about this in the last episode I thought it was so important and I'm going to say it again. I'm probably going to talk your guys' ear off about this. But I used to say it too. No one causes your feelings to be hurt. And look, no one I don't think is intentionally causing people to make, to. they're not trying to hurt a mate or a sister or a spouse or a friend. But because of our issues in our past, we can have feelings of threat or fe- feelings of fear or feelings of sadness or feelings of anger based on someone just saying something because of our neuroception. And our neuroception is guided so much by our past trauma that it will, it can see or perceive situations as threatening when they really aren't. For example, I have a client who was really scared to ever take the trash cans out of her house and take them to the front because she was scared that every time if she moved them, there was going to be somebody there like hiding there to like kind of attack her. And it seems like an irrational thought for most people, but for her, because of her past trauma, and if you understood what she experienced in her childhood and in her past, that that threat was very, very real, and it seemed very rational for her. And so we tend to, because of our past trauma, have perceptions of threat that aren't really real or necessary or... I hate to say the word healthy because I don't like deeming things as healthy and unhealthy, but it's just not really a true situation of threat. It's typically stemming from your past because there's a familiar cue happening in the present moment that looks or rings similar to your past, and that's making you have the neuroception of threat. So, us who've had trauma, if we've been cheated on before and there's been, you know, we've been cheated on three times and now we have a mate. That said they were gonna come home at seven o'clock and it's nine o'clock and they're not home yet, and you've been calling and texting and you're not getting any responses, you will probably freak the fuck out, right? You're probably gonna have a neuroception of threat right away because of your past trauma, right? Someone else might be like, he probably just like his phone died, or he's at the store and there's no reception, or he's stuck in traffic and whatever. Someone who hasn't had that past, that experiences of trauma from her past, may not trip. They'll just rationalize it. But someone who has, you can see how they can have a neuroception of threat when it may not be necessary. Okay? So um, I want to give you guys a recent example of, of a neuroception of threat that I had because I always like to give real-world examples. And um, I'm going to get a little vulnerable here and share some insight, but I think it's it, it adds, you know, not only awareness around what what a neuroception of threat can look like, but someone like me who is an actual person who has healed and processed a lot of trauma in their lives to show you that the neuroception um, in the polyvagal theory is very very real. Um, so I recently broke up with or ended a relationship with my ex boyfriend, and it was a very in my opinion, a really great and mature breakup and we were we're such good friends that um, we're still in each other's lives. I love him so, so much and I'm really excited about, you know, just still having him in my life um, and it was a decision that we both came to um, and thought that it was the best for both of us and even though I consciously made the decision to end things on my end um, and I knew it was the best thing for me, I didn't anticipate, like I thought I would be, do really well after the breakup. Well, turns out, <laughs> because of my past uh, abandonment issues and rejection rejection issues um, in my past trauma, my body freaked the fuck out. Okay. Um, the next day, I, I was working, had a bunch of clients. I was real, I was fine, but when it came for some reason, when I was getting done with clients, my body went just completely dorsal. Like I started noticing my energy going down. I started feeling super super sad, and you guys, I had absolutely no control over it. No control. This is your autonomic system, right? Your autonomic nervous system. Going into a state when it senses threat, I wasn't thinking. Oh my god, I'm so sad. I miss him. I hadn't missed him. I had just seen him the day before, right? The night before we broke up at at my house, so I didn't have like this like thoughts of Oh my gosh, I love him. It's been months, and you know all these things. Nope, there was no thoughts going through my mind. I was literally busy um, with clients the entire days. I had like five back to back clients, so I didn't even have any time to think about him. But that doesn't mean that my nervous system was understood and my subconscious knew that like, oh, I don't, I don't have a boyfriend anymore. And I naturally have a disorganized attachment style. We will talk about that very soon too. So what a disorganized attachment style does um, or what what basically what the behaviors of a, of a disorganized attachment style looks like is when they're in a relationship and it's getting, you know, serious or there's signs of, um, commitment or just when there's signs of like being actually with someone like in a committed relationship. For me, I used to get really antsy and I would find reasons to break up with people. Okay. I'm talking about my twenties and thirties guys. So I would just be like, Oh, I don't like there's, there's something wrong with him. As soon as things started getting serious and he started showing more signs of liking me, I would have, I would find reasons to, to get out of there, to break up with him because, the closeness, the the commitment felt like too much for me, and so I'd want to leave. Okay, I felt very claustrophobic, and I would get avoidant, and I would want to leave. Well, then when I would leave and break the relationship off, as soon as I was by myself for a couple of days, first it was fine, but then when I was by myself for a couple of days, it was like that loneliness crept in, and I felt completely like abandoned, and what's jacked up about the disorganized attachment style is it's almost like having a foot on the brake and a foot on the gas you want a relationship and you want to commit so you're pressing the gas but once you get in the relationship you get a little scared because you're not even you're not used to the love or the commitment or the affection or anything and so you you put your foot on the brake and you want to go back and you want to and you go back into uh, survival state and you try to protect yourself and you try to leave so there's that state of connection and wanting to connect and then there's a state of survival and wanting to leave so it's super super complicated it feels like ass and this is how I used to function in all of my relationships in my 20s and 30s well now I make a more conscious decision with relationships and if if I know things aren't right, then, you know, I'll end them never out of fear. Like, oh my God, this is scary. I got to go. I want commitment. I want to be in love and I want to get married. So that's never the problem. But I didn't anticipate. I thought because I was fine in a com- in a committed relationship now as an, as a 41-year-old woman that I wouldn't have that feeling of abandonment. I wouldn't go dorsal or feel scared when I was alone. Well, guess what? Your girl, that evening, I started getting like... I started feeling super, like, panicky almost. I started feeling like, oh my gosh, like, I'm by myself. Like, I'm never going to find anyone. And these thoughts just started going and going and going. I had no control over them, guys. Um, Deb Dana says, story follows state. So I want you guys to picture I'm working all is well. I have a neuroception of threat. My, My body somehow, like, remembered that, like, I'm single or something. I automatically went into a nervous system of threat. I like remember trying like just like feeling very anxious and then very quickly thereafter um went very dorsal I started I just started I wanted to shut down like just get in my bed and just pull the blankets over my head and just sh- like be by myself and feeling really like almost as if I there's there was no solution to anything like I was never going to find anybody and and the if you remember the dorsal vagal state the red state is a state of immobilization shut down and disconnection and there wasn't even a I got in it and when I was in bed and I just felt shut down I was I started getting awareness around it and I thought wow I am like completely dorsal at this point so I text my coach and I was like whoa I had no idea I would feel this way I thought because I ended the, the relationship I would feel really in control and she's like no like your nervous system is like it's going to go back to default. So I say this, guys, not to scare you that, oh my gosh, even though you do the work and you've processed a lot of stuff, you're still going to feel like shit. No, healing looks like this. The old me would have stayed in that state for like a week, two weeks, a couple months, right? I would have been shot to shit for a while. I would have believed the drama. I would have believed the story that followed the state, which was, oh my gosh, I'm never going to find anybody. Now I'm like divorced with three children and and I, like, oh my God, I'm 41. Like who's going to want to date me? I started going into this whole story right after my state of dorsal bagel and, um, really believed it. But what happens is when you, when you when you when you're working on healing your trauma, you don't stay in those states long. If you remember me talking about this before, then one of the ways to know you're healing your trauma is the intensity, frequency, and duration of your states of those survival states lessen. They, they're, they don't last as long. So I, w- I noticed it within psh, 20 minutes of being in it, but, but what I had to do so that, so the, the the, um, duration wasn't as long, right? Like I know I caught it really quickly and the intensity wasn't as bad. I think before I probably would have been crying. I would have been really distraught over it. So I wasn't crying. So the intensity wasn't as high and, um, frequency. Well, it hasn't happened since then. Thank God. Um, so it hasn't happened as often. So that's like your girl's gangster, right? Like I've really tackled this state of survival which is a trauma response state okay so this is how you know you're healing guys when you would have normally stayed in a state like that for so long and now it's like but here's what here's what I had to do um I let myself feel it I was aware of it and I just had I closed my eyes I put my hand over my heart and I just talked to my inner child and I was just explaining to her like you're safe, it's okay, I'm here for you, you're 41, you're not like being abandoned by dad because I think more oftentimes than not what happens is you kind of go into default into the place where you were first feeling, where you first felt that, that, that abandonment or the rejection or whatever state that was and so I just allowed myself to talk to that inner part of me, the traumatized part of me and explain to her that I'm 41 now, you know, I have all the tools and to help myself get out of feeling this way. But I acknowledged the feeling and I allowed myself to feel the feeling. Um I explained to her, and it this sounds a little weird, guys, but listen. Listen. When you're in it, you're gonna do all the things to get out of this shit. Okay. It doesn't feel good. Um, and I felt I felt good very, very quickly. Um, I nurtured myself normally I would have like in my past in my past life <laughs> I always feel like I have you guys i genuinely feel like I've had two lives trauma and then post trauma okay um or post healing I should say and so the old me would have been like I'm a bottle of wine done. I didn't even touch a bottle. I stayed in my room. I took a bath. I lit some candles. I played meditation music. I meditated in the bath. Then I read a book and then I I felt great. So there was nurturing that had to happen for myself to to allow myself one to be okay to feel the feeling and then show myself that if I felt the feeling nothing bad was going to happen. I wasn't going to die. An emotion is just a vibration in your body. and I was I wanted to show myself that I can feel the feeling and not numb it out with a coping tool, right with alcohol or go call a guy and have him come over or something or call you know, call some guy and just so I feel like loved or something. I wanted to show myself that I can be with myself and I myself have the tools to get myself out of that state. and I did. It, and it was there for a couple hours, and I woke up the next morning feeling so, not only good, like, state-wise, I didn't have, like, a neuroception when I woke up but, like, th- of, like, dread, like, I'm by myself again. I didn't feel that for some reason, which is so good. What ended up happening was I woke up feeling so confident and so proud of myself for getting through that state, for, for showing myself that I didn't need a drink, I didn't need to cope in some other um, jacked up unhealthy way. I sat with the feeling, I allowed it, I nurtured myself through it, took a bath, stayed by myself and showed my body and my nervous system being alone at about is okay. Being alone doesn't mean you're going to die. Being alone and lonely I believe are two different things. I was probably just feeling a little lonely, right? I didn't have my girls here that day. I was by myself. Um, It would have been a night that I would have normally seen him. And it was like, whoa, reality check. So I explained this, guys, to give you an example of what neuroception looks like, what dealing with the trauma looks like, what dealing with the trauma response and survival responses and the state of dorsal vagal looks like, and to let you guys know that it happens still. But what's amazing is when you have the tools of self-regulation, of nurturing, of soothing, of all these things, you get through them faster. You get... um, they don't happen as often, and I'm proud to say they haven't happened since. And I've I've been good, but breakups will do that to you if you have a disorganized attachment style naturally. Um, what's great is I've worked past the disorganized. I'm more secure than disorganized, but when you get triggered into a state of feel ab- supposed it or perceived abandonment, you can go you can go back into a trauma response. So. Thank God I had the tools to get myself through it. And I wanted to give you guys that example just to show you guys what neuroception and everything, how it plays out in real life. Okay? So I hope this episode was helpful, guys. I know I I cannot believe how long this episode is. I'm looking at the timer and it's like at 103. It was a long one. And if you listen to this entire episode, you are a gangster ass bitch. And I say that with like a term of endearment. If you know me, you know how I talk. You're dope. You are dope AF if you've listened to the whole minute and five or hour and five minutes of this episode. All these um, definitions and terms that I've covered are going to be in the show notes. Um, Let's see what else. I'm going to have some pictures so you guys can see the levels, the different hierarchy levels of uh, ventral vagal, sympathetic and dorsal vagal. I'm going to show you guys what the polyvagal ladder looks like. I'm going to show you guys pictures of blended states, what they look like and what they cover and what they entail if you're in a blended state. I'm going to give you guys a definition of autonomic nervous system and neuroception. So I hope this episode was helpful. Um, Let me know in the show notes or um, what you guys think about it. Also, I have not asked you guys for a freaking review since I launched the show, I think. So if you're listening to the show and you have gotten a lot from it, if you've learned some things, if it's just been entertaining at the very least, please do me a favor and leave a review either on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find this episode. Um, I'd really, really appreciate it. And if you do, send me a screenshot and send it to me on Instagram. I would love to to tag you on it and say a big thank you so again I hope this episode was thankful I mean um, helpful guys and next week I'm going to cover co-regulation and self-regulation the number one tool that I teach my clients in order to move past and heal emotional wounds so I will talk to you guys next week have a good one